everybody, welcome back to the Deep Astronomy Show. I'm Tony Darnell from deepastronomy.space, and I finally did it. I finally convinced my wife to start uh, recording some of our conversations together as a podcast. And I'm doing this because I really feel like this would be of interest to you guys. My wife is an amazing person, and she is also a philosopher and theologist by training, and we have some really, really good discussions in our marriage, and I've been wanting to share them with you guys for quite a while. Sometimes they just happen off the cuff. We just start talking to each other after watching a TV show or just reading a book, or sometimes I'll just blurt out a question and ask her, and we'll start talking about it. And I've often felt like these discussions would be of value to others because my wife is not only incredibly smart, she's also very articulate in her in the way that she expresses her ideas. And so I wanted to share this with you, and this is my first attempt at doing so. And I realized that the sound is probably less than ideal. We recorded this in our living room that has hardwood floors, and so there's a little bit of reverb in there. I will probably move future conversations into a more quieter, acoustically friendly place, and we will hopefully in the future... Uh, have better, slightly better sound quality, but it took me a long time to convince her to do this. So anyway, this is our intro episode. We're, I think we're going to try and record every, every Friday if we possibly can, and I will try to post something every week at some point. We will visit a lot of topics, uh, of, among them things like the first cause, which we talk about in this podcast. We also want to go into some morality issues, as well as the comparison of science versus uh, theology and I'm going to obviously take the science viewpoint she'll be taking the theological viewpoint and we'll see where this goes and hopefully you guys will enjoy it and uh, let me know what you think if uh, if you don't <laughs> so anyway let's let's just go ahead and get started So yeah, this is a bit of an experiment. We're going to try and share with you some of the thoughts that we've had throughout our relationship together just by talking with each other. And I got this idea because so often Charlotte and I talk and the conversations I think would be very illuminating if someone else were, you know, eavesdropping in and they might get something out of it too. So I have this idea to maybe con uh record some of our conversations that we had. So this is an experiment in that regard. Now, most of you know me. I'm Tony Darnell. I run deepastronomy.space, but my wife is with me here now too, Charlotte Darnell, and she is a teacher. Her background is theology, and just go ahead and say yeah, hi. Yeah, um, hi. <laughs> She's new to podcasting. Yes, so. and also really quite shy, so this is something I'm initially a little bit uncomfortable about doing, but Tony has persuaded me that it's worthwhile, so I'm doing this entirely, completely for him. <laughs> Just <laughs> want you, to honey. say that. Thank you, honey. <laughs> yeah, so um, I've been teaching Catholic theology for about 21 years now, um, and philosophy, um, and it's certainly challenging to be married to somebody who initially described themselves as an atheist is that is that still your position oh, yep yep i will find that in here in just a bit but that's that's basically too but true but tell them where you went to school for tell them where you got your training and yeah. where so where you're from okay so obviously i'm from england probably tell by the accent 
Um, I did my first degree and my second degree at Durham University, which is in the northeast of England. It's absolutely beautiful. Definitely go there. Um, and then I did my teacher training in Birmingham. And then I moved here. Uh, well, I was teaching theology and philosophy for the longest time. And then I got into special education and I became vice principal. And then just at that point, I moved to America to be with Tony and started just to do what I've always done best and just be in front of the kids in the classroom and teach the subject that I love. Um, so I taught Catholic theology here for three years. Um, I'm taking a little hiatus now, hopefully going to um, do another master's degree shortly. But yeah, that's about it. Good, yeah. So, And I should point out to people that listen to my stuff that Durham University, where she went to, has an amazing and quite reputable cosmology department, which I suppose isn't surprising given its history. I mean, the Durham University, I, I believe Harry Potter actually had some stuff yeah. filmed there. Mm -hmm. So this is like Hogwarts for sure, <laughs> for real, yeah. right? And it's a beautiful place. It's in the northeast of England, and it's just a lovely uh, cathedral. You can climb to the top of the tower and all of that kind of stuff. But it's steeped in history, and its science and mo and and then most importantly, its cosmology department is quite renowned, not just in England, but worldwide. So I found that very interesting. Now, one of the things you guys might find a little bit strange is the fact that, yeah, when I met Charlotte, when I first met her, I would have described myself as a ardent, but not militant, <laughs> atheist. Okay, I was very strongly in the camp of most atheists thought. I mean, I would have, you know, I, I would have, I, I don't argue with people about God. I don't talk to people about it, but I also knew that there just wasn't, there just simply was not a God. And I um, did not agree, however, with a lot of the militant atheists out there, notably people like Bill Maher or Richard Dawkins or Sam Harris. But at the time, I didn't know why I was bothered by them because they just bothered me. I read The God Delusion. I read I have all, not all of them, but I have many Sam Harris books and I read them and it just, all of them made me feel uncomfortable. And I'll get to that in a bit, but it has to do with something called scientism. And that's something I've, I've, I've recently learned how to articulate uh, what, not only what scientism is, but why it's a problem. But I think because these, these um, militant atheists, scientismists, is that what you call them? Well, I think you have to say yeah. scientistic, scientistic, which is weird. Individuals have attained this almost cult-like celebrity status. A lot of ordinary people are much more familiar with the stuff that they propagate, that they put out there in social media and in books and in videos than they are with the theistic position. Um, and I think that might be where some of your difficulty yeah, came that from. that absolutely was it. And it... But I couldn't, I didn't really look at that part of it so much. I didn't really care, really. I just knew that, that science had the answers and, and, and uh, theology did not. I was always interested in philosophy to the point where one, uh, you know, one of my only experience with it was with philosophy of religion in college. And I absolutely loved that class. I got <laughs> so much out of it because I learned about the cosmological argument, the ontological argument, all these different philosophical things I didn't know existed. But I was too young at the time to really appreciate what it was, but it always stuck in my head and I've always been interested in, in philosophers. And so um, when I met Charlotte, which I don't know, should we tell that story? Yeah. How we met? Okay. <laughs> so, so I was sitting in this 
chair right here when I got a notification from a dating website I was on. And I, you know, noticed or someone had responded to my profile on it. Now, you know, I was in a, I was at a point in my life, actually, I, I should just be full disclosure here, where I was fully expecting to not meet anybody. I was sick of dating by that time. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go out and meet anybody. And, and I was just in a place where I was just resigned that I was going to be living the rest of my life alone. So that was my mind space at the time of all this. And, and I read her uh, initial response to or reply to me to my to my um, <laughs> profile and it was so cute because you know there was all of this talk of you know what she did she was teaching theology at a, at a Catholic <laughs> school in England and not only did she teach theology but she was the head of the department <laughs> and you know and so uh, she just you know I think she was worried I was just gonna out of hand delete the message right. but for whatever reason I couldn't. And my profile was very upfront about how I felt. I said that I was an atheist. I don't think there's a God and that religious people probably shouldn't reply to my um, <laughs> profile because they wouldn't like me very much if they I, did. I didn't see that as a challenge, though. I just want to say that I didn't set out to convert you to my beliefs or to the Catholicism. And the length of our marriage has been testament to the fact that we don't have those combative discussions where, you know, you're trying to tell me that I'm wrong and I'm trying to tell you that, you know, I'm right. I don't think a marriage would work like that, but there was just something about your, the work that you do in education and outreach to just teach people about how wondrous the universe is and, um, you know, things that fascinate me on you know, cosmology, the origins of the universe, time, space, black holes, all of that stuff that even if you didn't want to take it any further, I just thought you would be just an, a fascinating person to get to know at some level in any case. And the same was true for me. I thought the same thing. And I, I, uh, I knew that there was something very intriguing there. So the more we talked and the more we interacted, we find out all these great things about ourselves and we get very, very excited very early in the relationship. And I come to find out that she was actually, she, she, she freaked out. She sent me an email one day over the fact that, <laughs> oh my God, do you know that I have been using one of your videos on deep astronomy and teaching my class? And it was the video I made on what caused the Big Bang? Yeah, was for like it? six years. I've been using <laughs> this video and I listened to his voice and the name Tony Darnell just had not clicked with me that this was actually the same guy that I was trying to persuade to start a relationship with me. And I just hadn't... It was, wasn't until the next time I went to put it on and I thought, hold on, I know that voice. <laughs> <laughs> that was really when you figured it yes, out? <laughs> yes, yes. It's like so weird. And that, that video is one of your most popular videos, isn't it? I think for reasons. It is, it is. But it's also the one I'm probably the most embarrassed about looking back on it. Because knowing now what I know about philosophy, I made some embarrassing... Uh, statements that I would never make now. If I made that video again, it would be because basically my conclusion was it goes all the way back to this thing on the first cause, and we'll we'll talk about first cause during this podcast, not this particular episode, but in, in future ones, where they, you know we go we we you know everything has a cause, uh, you know, but what what happens when we get to the first cause? Now, what I was not appreciative of was there was already. A lot of really good arguments, mostly done by Thomas Aquinas, who had already thought about this stuff, about a first cause and what it must be like. And it all he used it. I think he used it as an example yeah. for the existence of God. Yeah. Right. And so um, and so I 
I would do that video much differently now. <laughs> but all I basically left you with was sometimes our brains just can't handle the fact that there can be a uh, cause, I mean, a, an I effect uncaused, with yeah. an uncaused, yeah, an uncaused cause. You could just have it. I didn't at the time know about necessary well, that's not existence. An unreasonable position to take, and, and it's but it's like kindergarten, right? I mean, well, come on. Now, and pointedly, I should point out, I never asked you until years later yeah. what you actually used that video for. Yeah. <laughs> and then he was like, uh, "Did you use that video to completely trash me and destroy me in front of all of your students?" I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know what she was using it for. Only that she was. No, the thing that I, my style of teaching, and because I recognize that the vast majority of students that I have in front of me are not religious students or have very undeveloped ideas about spirituality the the last thing I want to do is say well that's you know that's a stupid argument or you know anything like that because actually it's not and there's a lot of merit in this idea that you know perhaps the universe could be self-causing or perhaps that there could be you know a core there could be something that exists that has no cause and I, I disagree with with Tony's statement that that was a childish conclusion to draw but I do think that there is a lot of space between you know where that video left off and, and that conclusion that was drawn and since then we've had some really interesting discussions because I want to know more about you know about you know the conditions of singularity I want to know more about you know things that Tony sometimes doesn't like to discuss like multiverses and yeah know. I hate those <laughs> we'll get into that too but yeah so we thought well actually didn't we say that you would remake that video, that we'd collaborate? Uh, yeah, yeah, we are going to rewrite the script right. for that, and I'll remake that video uh, to be more philosophically coherent, I think. Because ultimately, that is a, it's not a, it's, based on what we know now about the universe, it's not a question science can answer. And while they say they can, uh, it's a very, um, it's not backed up by any sort of empirical data or observations. It's just where various theories lead and what might cause it anything from you know just a, a quantum fluctuation a random quantum fluctuation they don't say in what or it could just be one where part of it's a it's a breaking through of a membrane of some kind to from other universes that have created this one and all of which are the untested and untestable ideas so so i question whether that actually becomes science at the point of the big bang Everything after that, I think science has a lot to say. But up to that point, I don't think it has, I mean, beyond that point, I don't think it has anything to say. One of the first kind of heated discussions that we had came back to this idea that, you know, does it make sense scientifically just to say there is no reason? And, you know, I think that was your initial position that the universe is just a brute fact. There is no explanation. There's no reason. There's no cause. Because even it's if there was, right. yeah, we couldn't find out what it is, but... You know, I'm, I'm not a scientist, but I found that to be almost an unscientific statement in and of itself because the search for a reason why the data that we have in front of us is the way it is and not some other way or why, you know, anything should pertain in any particular format is a very, is the most important question in science. It's what drives every single hypothesis and every single theory. Yeah. And um, to me, it's just deeply unsatisfactory, not at a logical level. Because there's nothing logically wrong with saying that there is no cause, but at a you know at a human level and at a scientific level to just stop and say, well, there's no explanation, and that's the end of the matter. It seems to me to undo everything. Oh, they don't say it's the end of the matter. They they but go on to give all saying, these. Right. They, well, they give all these explanations for what no, could happen. No, 
but none of them are testable by science. And so to me, it's like a black swan. Uh, you know, the cause of the Big Bang is like a black swan. Everywhere we look, there, every effect has a cause, no matter what. Well, for a long time, everywhere we looked, there were white swans. We didn't see, well, there weren't any black swans until there was one. <laughs> and so, you know, we, th this is the same way. There were always causes to every effect until there wasn't one. And so I worry that, you know, that we are trying to, if you just stop there, I think science is fine. But if you try to go further back and, and give these, well, it's part of a multiverse. It's part of a string that is where, you know, or we're in a simulation or whatever, then, then the answers are extremely, the wording and the phrasing and the methodology mm. becomes very unscientific. But I disagree with the black swan um, comparison because... You know, there may be something that we haven't yet observed in the universe, which is what the black swan analogy is about. But to say very fundamentally that there may be things that have no causes undoes everything in science, because as well as having a hypothesis that suggests that this particular cause leads to this particular effect, you now have to go back and say, but there could also be no cause for yeah. every single thing in science. And Agreed. I, I, I think that's a much more fundamental problem than saying there may be things that we haven't observed yet. And that's what everybody says to me. They said, you, you know... You, we just we're just not there yet. The science isn't there yet. The observations aren't there yet. And of course, that could be true. And you know, I keep thinking a lot about um, Thomas Kuhn's book, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, where you know he he describes the advancement of science in these fits and starts that come with a change in a paradigm. And so maybe our current scientific paradigm is in a place where. It simply cannot answer fundamental questions about our universe. I mean, this isn't the only area where we're having problems. We're having problems understanding the matter content of the universe, what the hell's dark matter. We're having right. a hard time understanding what the hell dark energy is. Why is the universe expanding? We can't even reconcile the rate at which the universe is expanding from all of our different methods. So science is in trouble right now in some very fundamental areas about our universe. I and mean, you need quite a lot of unseen matter to explain our, our best theories of matter right now don't include 95% of the matter out there. That's a problem. So what So what if we're in this paradigm that's struggling rapidly? This is Thomas Kuhn's yeah. idea. And then, and then um, suddenly somebody comes along, some Einstein of the future that advances our knowledge and, and answers all of these questions. Boom. Science has made huge advances. And if you think about it, Science really hasn't advanced that much since the early 20th century. We haven't learned much sure. in about almost 100 years. Well, yeah, about 100 years, nothing really new has, ha has happened. I think that this um, almost crisis point that, that Tony's talking about, where just the old way of doing things just isn't working anymore, is something that is certainly in religion, in the Catholic Church, and many other religions is also really apparent for people who are trying to believe but struggling with their faith. Um, and maybe that's why our marriage is, is working as well as it is, because we're both so much less certain. Of yeah, our, that's a great point. Yeah, we're so yeah. much less certain of the things that other people in our worlds want to tell us are absolutely fundamentally true. Um, and I think that we approach our discussions with the possibility that we're wrong. You know, um, the Catholic Church is, you know, you don't just need to look in the media and see what's happening. And it's the stuff that's gone on with the um, priest abuse scandals and some of the things that nuns have done in the past. They really affected me to the point where I couldn't teach in a Catholic school anymore and I don't anymore. 
um, they deeply affected my faith and my because the Catholic Church is 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 built on such a hierarchy and such a, a sense of the the truth being guarded by this handing on, this sacred handing on of information and tradition that allows us to believe that the interpretation of scripture that we have is the right one. When that starts to fail and fall, and we need a paradigm shift, we need a new way of looking at God's relationship with the world and with his people, with the church. And I haven't I haven't given up my faith, but I do keep coming back to this idea that the church is not the Pope, it is not the bishops, it is not, you know, even the religious, the church is the people, and it can't be wrong in that sense. But there's so much more to discuss between the two of us. The thing that initially attracted, I'm, I'm a convert to the Catholic faith, I was not born Catholic, I was raised in an evangelical um, conservative Christian background and I believe the Bible to be literally true um, I'm sure we'll do a, a, oh yeah we'll talk about that. about that but I came just briefly I came to Catholicism at a time in my life when I was looking for something that was intellectually believable something that I could fit with my you know scientific appreciation of the universe that would fit with my sense of logic and to be frank I found the Catholic Church at that point and I still do the teachings of the church going all the way back to St Thomas especially St Thomas Aquinas to be just so fundamentally rational that it it was the only way that I could hold on to my Christian belief to do that and that was very eye-opening for me to learn as well just how just how misled I was into thinking the Catholic Church wasn't open to science when the exact opposite has been true uh, throughout its history. But I think another thing that appealed to me, wasn't it, was the idea that this was the first Christian church, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that was the old, that's from which all these others came, the evangelicals and yep. the Protestants, they all came from the Catholic Church. So you wanted to get to the roots Absolutely. of your belief, right? Yeah. Your um, yeah. You know, the... the the gospel message was transmitted orally um, for 30, 40 years before it was ever written down. And that transmission was through the initial early church, which was headed by St. Peter. And um, St. Peter was given the keys to heaven in the Bible. So if you want to go back to scripture, you can see there the authority of the first ever pope, um, where Jesus tells him that it is his responsibility to teach, to preach, to forgive sins, to go out in the name of God and to deliver what were the very early sacraments to the people. And the Catholic Church guarded the truth of the of the gospel such that when it came to a time to develop a canon, a, an actual collection of authentic teachings that they would put into the Bible around about 320, whenever AD, um, that it already knew what was going in there. It already knew because through this tradition of guarding the truth, Everybody knew which ones were authentic and which ones were Gnostic and later and not authentic, like, you know, the Gospel of St. Thomas and all of that stuff that you read about in the Da Vinci Code that's absolute twaddle. Um, <laughs> and, and to me, going back to what I was saying before, that, that careful, um, guided holding on to the truth is, is something the Catholic Church is really proud of and, and should be. So for somebody who comes from an evangelical background to imagine that the bible kind of floated down out of the sky and landed on the ground leather bound here you are here is the the absolute fundamental word of god read it how you think it says and that will be correct is is just 
I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't, I lived that life and I couldn't do it anymore. Not just because it appeared to have contradictions and all of the other things, not just because it was unscientific, but because St. Thomas Aquinas says the right way to read scripture is to understand what the authors intended when they wrote it. And that you cannot do by yourself. Unless you speak ancient languages, you're an expert in cultural anthropology, you know that you know the idioms and the vernaculars of the time, etc., etc. That is what the church has guarded. And, um, you know, to me, I found something real and authentic. And, and I was just so happy to have met Tony and to be able to say to him, you know, there is another way to have these Christian beliefs, there is another way to be intellectual and to be religious to be scientific and to have faith and, um, yeah that was a real surprise to me it really was because i did not i did not have that image of christendom at all um i felt like it was very close-minded very frightened of progress i felt all the myths that most atheists that you see on youtube and in the popular culture now say right that, that it's all a bunch of just uh just crazy mythology and I've learned since that that's that that's not the case at all. In fact, I I've, I've gotten quite a bit of respect for it. I'm still not a person of faith. I still can't find my way toward just accepting the fact that this is true. But in a similar way that that you went to Catholicism to get to the root of the tr- what you felt was the truth, where evangelical uh, scriptures weren't doing it for you. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing throughout my life, looking for, well, what's the basis of reality? What are things really like? I went through a new age period where I was thinking positive thinking would work. I went through a period where meditation and, 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 uh, uh, you know, crystals and energy flow and all this stuff would work. Uh, and I looked into all of this and it, there were some people that were channeling these other beings from other you know, I mean, I went through all of it, it and, and really looked at the nature of reality through these lenses, all of which the only one that really seemed good, and this is through, this is, a, I'm cutting a long story short here, uh, was science. And I always knew I wanted to be in science from a young age, especially astronomy, but the, the opportunity didn't happen until much late in life. So I went through all these other branches to get where I finally got, and science was really speaking to me. I was, it was answering lots of questions. It made just a ton of sense. Everything just fit. And finally, I had found a home in science. And then, you know, early in my life, I started a um, nonprofit um, play, uh, company called the Rocky Mountain Science Center. And the first time I ever felt a conflict with my science was in, while running that company, one of the things I did was after school enrichment of science clubs and science, I had a portable planetarium I would take to schools and homeschooling is a big deal in Colorado where I was running it. And I ran it, they were hiring me to do their science for their children in their homeschool program. And what they would do is they'd get all these people together, these families, and they'd, they'd pitch in their money. They'd rent a, a room or a you know, classroom in a church, whatever it was. And then they'd hold their science classes one day a week. And I would come in and I'd teach them biology and all kinds of different things. And before they would let me do that, I had to go through this grilling, unlike I had never been through before, about the age of the universe, how I, how they didn't want me to talk about any of that. The ages of stars were problematic. And I said, well, I don't know how I'm going to teach your <laughs> yeah. kids then if you want them to know astronomy. She goes, go ahead and teach, you know, things like the planets and the orders of the planets and, and what kinds of stars there are. Just don't talk about 
time scales. But these and, kids are not stupid. <laughs> well, know? that's exactly right. And so I so I had to do this dance so that I because I needed the money. And so I agreed to teach, and I felt like some science was better than no science in this environment. So I went ahead and did it. And it was the first time I'd ever really come clashing with with religion. And ever since then, it had been that negative. They actually went so far. One parent actually went so far as to tell me. When I asked me what I believed, and I fought it, I fought it, I fought <laughs> it. I did not answer the question. I said, I really don't think that's relevant right now. And she kept pushing, kept pushing. And so I finally said, well, I think that the universe is 13 billion years old. And that everything that science says about the universe is true. I don't believe in Christianity. I don't think any of this is right. And she said to me, well, you might believe that, but you can't live that way. And I thought it was an odd thing that's to tell somebody. That's very strange, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, all of this is to say that colored my opinion of religion up until the point where I met um, Charlotte. And I had also read Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris and all these. And I watched Bill Maher. I still to this day watch Bill Maher. But it's, you know... it's it's It, it was eye-opening, I think, um, when Tony and I started to discuss the contribution the Catholic Church has made to science and astronomy, particularly over the ages. It's not just that it has allowed science to roll on, but that it has actually actively encouraged priests and other members of the Church to discover the truth about the universe. I mean, obviously, you know, the Big Bang was, was discovered by Father Georges Lemaitre, I'm mm-hmm. a Catholic priest. Um, and St. Bede the Venerable is a fucking rock star, man. I mean, he, this guy, what, <laughs> hey. what was he, like 400? Seven, seven something. Yeah, way back there, man. He, what is he talking about? Around Earth. So yeah. it's, you know, the, so yes, I've gotten a lot of respect for the Catholic Church. That's going to be another topic of right. another episode. But I think we should, you know, just bring this back home into what we were saying is both of us have realized at, through the course of our relationship that... We, we needed each other's viewpoints to make for a more complete picture of the world. I'm starting to have, not a crisis, but certainly a question, a questioning of the science methods that are being used right now to explain fundamental things in our universe that I didn't ever have before. And you just got through mentioning mm-hmm. your, your issues with the Catholic Church, which are very well publicized and, and understandable. Yeah. So we're both using these... What would you call them? They're not crises. Are they just ah, meltings yeah. or, I don't know, just sort of a, we're just not so rock solid right. in our defense of these um, worlds. And I think that just gives us this understanding of each other and deep respect for each other's positions. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, had Tony been like that woman at the Rocky Mountain Science Center and been a, a more fundamental Christian and, you know, believed some of the things that that those people believe i don't think this marriage would have worked so i'm not accepting tony's beliefs just because they're tony's beliefs they vice versa right there to me that that he obviously you guys will have seen his stuff he's deeply intellectual deeply intelligent and his views are really well thought out he'll go and read around the philosophy of a subject before he'll even come with a question for us to discuss and i'm always amazed at how much outside of his area of expertise he's actually understood and wants to talk about and to me that just makes this you know really a very powerful dynamic that we have and I guess you know people say to me my concern that you know there's a heaven and that people who don't believe on haven't followed the teachings of the church won't be in heaven and Tony won't be there and you know 
of course, everybody who believes in an afterlife, believes in a, a sense of heaven and hell, has that concern about people in their family that don't. But I would like to say that he is a much, much better person than I am. And and if there's no place, oh, if there's you are, that, but... and if there's no place for him in heaven, well, I don't want to be there. That's for sure. <laughs> that's, that's nice. I'm getting a little yeah. bit, a little oh. bit choked up here. Uh, but yeah, well, it is. It is for me a. You were a tre- you were a treasure of knowledge that um, I would. I, I've just been hungry for for a long time. I've always known that my biggest weakness, my biggest not intellectual deficit, was in my philosophy and. And to have married a philosopher is is just such a treasure to me because it's you know I can just ask you a question and you'll have a really good answer for it. Like Sometimes. you know, one thing I want to talk about in the course of this podcast is you know when I just got through lamenting the fact that these many worlds of quantum mechanics or these other universes are not directly physically observable, the reason and we'll never have any hope of having any data or observations about them. One of the reasons so many scientists are so quick to give strong support for these ideas is that the math is there. The mathematics of the theory are such that they can't be refuted. They must be there. And that's what they, they hang their head on. So my question to a philosopher would be, is that, a, is that real? Yeah, I mean, Pl- Plato, real. Plato yeah. actually believed what was mathematical was physically re- reality. Yeah, and he's not the only one. Right. So we should talk about that. Maybe... Maybe I'm being pedantic about this. Maybe reality, maybe it is real. Maybe the math is all you need. I don't know. It, it certainly wouldn't have any practical use because it can't. But maybe that's all you need. And maybe that's why scientists are, are saying such strong statements in support of these things that can never be tested. But to me, that's a, that's a realm that's being called non-empirical science. And we can get into a discussion of what science is and isn't. But one Are thing you I, saying the math is non-empirical? I think I am saying that because math can be used to describe a lot of things that are not real, too. I mean, a mathematical theory right. can take many forms to describe a phenomenon, but only one of them is going to end up being right. So they, they all have valid math, but only one of them is actually describing what's going on here. So math can be used to describe a great many things that are not real. Right, but the question and is, so, yeah, does, does the math describe the way the world is, or is math the fundamental way the world is? You know, yeah, and that's my, so right? that's not a scientific question. Well, is, is it? the world made out of math? Know. It's not just a description of the world, but is yes, the world exactly. actually just math? Right, that's a really good question. Yeah, we should do one on that. We will do. <laughs> right. okay, okay, so we have lots of ideas. We got, yeah, so you're getting a sense of where this podcast is going, and um, I think that we are going to be working out the the format of this as time goes on but uh, there's something i feel really strongly about doing and and, and he's been asking me about to do this with him for about two years of which i managed to successfully evade him until today i know here's the way i know it she's finally agreed and so here's here's the thing we would do i'll be sitting here watching tv and we'll talk about something about the we'll see something some character on a tv show going you know making the argument that the ends justify the means. And then we'll get into a big discussion about, well, if the ends justify the means, you know, what does that, you know, what does that mean? And I'll, then I'll just blurt out a question. If the ends justify the means, then wow. um, what um, what about the needs of the many versus the needs of the yeah, few? Right? You know, and we'll talk about... you just about... come up with these amazing <laughs> questions. We'll just talk about it for half an hour. And I'm like, boy, you know, we should record these because they're really interesting. 
and I think you guys would enjoy it. So I hope you guys will let us know what you think of all this. This one's probably this will probably be one of the shorter ones. We've only been at this a half hour. I'd like to make them closer to an hour, but we'll just see how it goes. We want this to be natural, and we want this to be um, uh, you know something that is easier for us to do. One of my favorite things about this recording right now, I'm already thinking about it, is I don't have to edit this. <laughs> I, can, I, mean, I can just post. I'm going to clean up the sound and I'm going to post it. Perhaps future ones might need editing because he's put the microphone in the living room on the coffee table and I honestly don't know when he's going to turn it on or not. So <laughs> that's how authentic he wants these to be. I well, I just want to be able to quickly turn on the recorder to get something. Okay. The problem is it takes minutes for it to finally get no, ready to record. So by then it's dog over. dog and the cat and so we're going to be yeah. a little more, a little less, you know, uh, random about it and more, more planned out. But, um, okay. So, all right. So that's what you guys get to look forward to. We're going to, I'm going to try and do these. I better not commit to a, a frequency. <laughs> whenever the discussions arise. Right. Whenever we, whenever we get our stuff together to have a discussion, I think one of the first ones I want to have is this idea of first cause. I want to yeah. talk about. I want to talk about Aquinas, and I want to talk about the science arguments of uh, the, of what of what science has to say. Yeah. Why? That's another one. Why is there something rather than nothing? Yeah. Got a, there's all kinds of things to talk about on this. So um, let me know what you guys think. I don't. I don't. The best way to let me know how what you think is to just. Uh, I need to make an email address. Can you put some on the website. And- Oh, yeah, just go to deepastronomy.space and go to contact and send me. Uh, I'll get the email from that. So deepastronomy.space slash contact, and you can leave me leave us a message about things you'd like to talk about or give us feedback on what you think of this podcast. Yeah. Podcasts are notoriously bad at interaction. There's no way we can really interact. We post it, you listen, and that's that. And uh, there's no way to really, like, leave a comment or anything. So we'll try and work on that a bit a bit later on. All right, well, I guess we'll stop there.